You're listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry. I will be engaging in a very interesting discussion on the story of being a pimp. My guest for this episode is Ramon Darnell. We'll be right back. So good evening, Ramon. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for being a guest on my show. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, this it's is a pleasure. Yes, this is a pleasure. I'm sure it's going to be a pleasure for our audience, too. Um, I, and you have a very interesting story, and uh, I hope that they sit back and enjoy this discussion, as I'm sure I will. So heading right into it. The title, I, I call it Being a Pimp, The True Story. Now, I'm going to start this off by saying, I think, to my surprise, I think many people who do not understand or know the detail that you're about to share think they have a good idea of a pimp, uh, what a pimp does, what the life is like. And I think many of us get our ideas probably from movies maybe a bit from certain streets if you lived in certain neighborhoods or you know certain neighborhoods. But you're the real deal. So why don't we start off by, before we get into that detail, tell us who Ramon Darnell was as a child growing up before you know, entering into this, this career, so to speak. Well, I was the average kid. I grew up in... Uh... Chicago projects. Um, people say you were poor, like we were poor, but I didn't know that I was poor. And at the age of five years old, I saw the older kids, uh, they used to go out and hustle. So it was natural for the young kids to go out and hustle too. And I would get on the air when I was about five years old and start hustling. So hustling had started being embedded in me at a real young age. By the time I got eight years old, the hustle was in me. I hustled bottles and and magazines. I was always hustling, but hustling was not my first love. I loved gymnastics as well. So I did gymnastics as a kid when I was young. And I had a normal childhood. But hustling was a sad thing that I did, but I did gymnastics as well. But I just grew up as a as an average kid, just, you know, in the urban community. Okay, so it, it's an interesting question to ask because I'm, I'm, uh, you'll have to lead me into this. But at some point of your life, there is... Uh, either a rapid or a slow, or there's some sort of transition from the normal kid into this life of being a pimp. Tell us how that started. Well, when I was young in the neighborhood, the neighborhood I lived in, that was 
gangsters, hustlers, and players. That's where I come from, that type of environment. And I didn't have a lot of opportunities. The opportunities that I had, uh, they was, they was, I had missed certain opportunities as far as gymnastics, because at that particular time, uh, they didn't let African-Americans in gymnastics. So, I mean, I was young and I didn't really understand it. So hustling was my second thing. So I made it something that I became good at. And I never started off a pimp. I just started off a hustler because I wasn't very smart in school academically. That wasn't a way for me, but I was studying trying to go to school, but I was never really good at school. So I started hustling in the streets and I was better at hustling. And I started robbing. I was a, I was a stick up man. I played three card Molly. I uh, pick pot. Um, I did all the little hustles, even pimp. But I wasn't trying to be a pimp. That was just a hustle. But it seemed to me that that gravitated more to me than everything else. And so the reason why I gravitated, because I didn't really like sticking people up. I couldn't deal with the consequences because one time I got caught and I went to jail. And when I went to jail, they offered me 30 years. And I thought I was going to go to jail for 30 years. But when I got out, I had to decide what I wanted to do. And I decided that I was going to be a bona fide pimp. Instead of all the other hustles, I decided to be a pimp. Okay, so... How long were you, how long was that transition? How long were you incarcerated? I wasn't incarcerated that long. I was incarcerated for about a week and then I bond out. Okay. One week. Okay. And that was enough for you to decide on, on this trajectory. That was enough for you to say, you know what, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to become a pimp. Yeah, because I didn't like really taking stuff from people. I mean, that wasn't my forte. And plus, I wasn't willing to deal with the, the consequences. Okay, so... Like selling drugs, and I wasn't willing to deal with those consequences. And going in people's pockets, I wasn't willing to deal with that neither. Or three-card molly. Three-card molly was the most fascinating thing I did. I talk about it in the book because it taught me a lot. It taught me about people that... The best way to trick a person is somebody trying to get something for nothing. That's how a con get con. When a con is ran on you, it's because you're trying to get something for nothing. Right, right. And that is that is true probably in every aspect of life in somewhere or the other, even even bona fide, you know, um, white collar, you know, careers, blue collar careers, it doesn't matter. You know, many people see an opportunity to get something for nothing and they go for it. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So let's, let's get into the meat of this now, because now I know my audience is ready. So you decide to become a pimp. Now I'm going to come from the perspective of someone who has, has uh, assumptions about this and you're going to tell me the true story and correct me when I'm wrong. So is it anything like, 
a a um, fraternity, so to speak. In other words, do you get it, or at least at that time, does someone decide I want to become a pimp? And just you know, how do you you know? There's got to be facets to this. How do you recruit uh, your 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 stable, as they called it back in the days, or how you you recruit the young ladies and and are there rival pimps out there that you need acknowledgement from or permission from, or, you know, is there a territorial thing? Tell me, you know, tell us the meat of this. Tell us the story. Okay. Well, how you get your girls, I'm going to ask you something. It's not hard to attract women to something uh, that you're doing if they attracted to it as well. Most of the time we say, which one get the girls, the good guys or the bad boys? And we ask ourselves, well, why do the girls go with the bad boys? Because the bad boy imperfections show a lot more. And most of the time a woman gravitates you from your imperfections. So water finds its own level. So if you out there and that's what you're about, them the type of people you're going to attract. They have to be attracted to you. It's not no certain rap or what you, you know, you rap good or you your conversation good. That helps. And the way you look, I mean, it can attract them, but it can't hold them. They have to be attracted to you and see where you fit in. And it's not hard for that because when you think about the sex business, that's a multi- billion dollar industry so it's a whole lot of people that gravitate toward that just think about it yeah i mean it's it's that that's that's a, that's one that's going to cause many of us to pause too because i think one would might you know one would tend to say that those people that are attracted to it also come from a certain part of society. I mean, what did you see? Did you see that in your experience that what you went through that the majority were from, which I, I would probably guess to be true, have, have certain similarities in their background and life? Or did you see, uh, you know, including socioeconomic standing? So were they mostly people of average or, or lesser means? Or did you also have people intermingle in there that were of, um, of, of that came from some good you know, economic background that had money, but were just also attracted to you and the bad boy uh, image. Okay, they came. Not I can't speak for other pimps. I, it, you do have pimps that's one dimensional. I will say that, and they only attracted to one certain type of woman because that one type of woman is attracted to them. But me. I was an adapt. I was able to adapt to many different type of women. So my women came from all walks of life. Poor, rich, preachers, daughters, cop daughters, regular people, poor people, all walks of life. And if a person listens, say, well, that can't be true. Yeah, because you got people that came up in church. Been in church their whole life, turn into a superstar and get on drugs. Now, why do they get on drugs? Because that's something 
that they're attracted to. A lot of times it's already in people. I mean, they just have to be introduced to it or something have to ignite it. And I could use like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was a scary chubby kid when he was little and he was scared to fight. But when the bully of the neighborhood broke his pigeon neck, he got so mad he fought him and he won. And he found out he knew how to fight. So he wanted to learn how to fight and be a fighter and learn how to box. Now, he wound up being the heavyweight champion of the world, but he didn't want to fight. Now, this could be for good or bad. Whatever's in you can be in you. It just has to be ignited or introduced. That's all. So this is the real deal, and I'm telling you how it go for real. So, and I had to pause there, just a thought, you know, this is, this is really interesting. So I'm going to go into some detail here and say, how did the introductions happen? I mean, and, and, and we really going to get into detail of this because I think when people first hear the, the, the title of the episode, Being a Pimp, they probably want to say, oh, what is that about? But I think this is so, um, so many people be interested in this because I don't know if I've ever heard this story told from your perspective before. So, you know, someone, so, you know, how, how did the introductions happen? Are they all by chance? Are you driving around a nice car and you see, they see the girl on the street and you, 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 you call to her or something. Are you going to a nightclub and you know, what, what, you know, tell us about some of the ways that you, did you first meet these women? And then also tell us, about how you get them from hello, Ramon, all the way to I'm going to go and, you know, sell myself and, 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 and give this dude my money. Okay. I can meet him anyway. I think I had a lot of advantages over most pimps. I did. Because as a young boy, I studied women. Because when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a psychiatrist, a doctor, something like that. So I had a friend, he was real good at imitating women. And I used to want to be like him and imitate people. But he got something funny out of it. But I got something different. I was able to understand him a little better. So I understand and I know how to track women because... If you show them who you are, that attract them more. They they want to see where they fit in. So that's my heart. But anywhere I went, everybody like a winner. Everywhere I went, everybody know I'm a pimp. So it wasn't like they running. They was glad to meet me and they were glad to be with me. I, I didn't have no problem chasing down women. Not a lot of times. If I go in the club, I'm going to meet some. If I go walk down the street, if I'm driving, wherever I'm going, they're they going to talk to me. So when they talk to me within 10 seconds, I'm going to let them know what I do. Because I don't want them to build, build up no monogamy in their mind about me and them. And nine times out of 10, when a woman get with you, she can automatically start seeing where she fit in automatically. So once... You tell them within 10 seconds, that's what I do. I'm in the things that have big money. I'm a pimp. 
then automatically, if she don't walk away and she stay there, she's going to be able to see where she fit in. So that what draws her to you. So what? So because, wait a minute. Let, let's break this down a little bit. So you decide, and, and I'm missing a gap here. I want to. You you didn't come from any you know any rich means. You decide that you're going to be a pimp. Um, yes. The image of I have in my head again, and always tell me when I'm wrong is the pimp has flashy clothes, drives a. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily an expensive car, but certainly a car that attracts attention. Well, he drives expensive car. Okay. He I've never dressed super flashy like that. I was more, I was flashy. I wore expensive clothes, but I wasn't like super flashy. I was flashy with jewelry and I would wear nice clothes, but women would just draw to me. Because they understood that I was a bad boy. Right, well, but how did you, you did, what, did, you went from a state where you didn't have money, didn't have a car, didn't have the clothes, and all of a sudden, you know, that's the part I'm trying to fill in. You had to, you had to, okay. there had to be growing, growing pains, there? yes. Well, how did I get there? Because I started off slow with one or two girls. And then I worked my way up once I had one girl, and then that worked me up to two girls. And then I got a better car. Then once I got three girls, I got a better car. So once I got eight girls, then it was easier for me. It just got easier for me because I got serious about my business. So it wasn't that hard. I let them know what I did. I instructed them and taught them how to do it. See, it's not like you go out there and you just say, okay, go prostitute. No, it's not like that. Um, this is an art form. So the first couple of years, I made mistakes, a lot of mistakes. I talk about it in the book. You know, I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from my mistakes. So I built up a plan and how to to instruct my girls what to do, like how to have sex with them. Normally when prostitutes have sex, they don't really have sex. I taught them how to have sex so a man can't hurt them or get up on them. I taught them how to do certain things. It's more like a, a trick. You just, you got to know how to please a man without doing all that. So it's about teaching them how to work smart, not hard. It's just not go lay down and, and let them have sex with you. No, it's a lot of precautions you got to take. And I had a plan, a, a risk management plan. And so I learned that as I went along. And far as the other pimps and all of that, when I was young, yeah, you have to come through the ranks because when they see a, a new young pimp come, you got to stand up and do what you got to do. But I kind of had a reputation because when I was young, I was a member of an organization, street organization, and and I wasn't like this little wimpy dude. I had respect on the street before I even became a pimp. Because even as a young boy, I was uh, I was known. Okay, so basically you're saying you got into a business, you kind of had a leg up when it's a street business because you'd already built your reputation as, you know, everybody knows this guy, knows what he's about. You know, they know not to mess with him. They know to respect him when he stepped, you know, when you stepped into the business. 
And well, no, no, they tried because I went different places. But when they tried me, you have to stand up. And once you stand up and they understand you ain't nothing to be playing with. That's why I say I was one of I was the most notorious when they came to my business. I didn't play around at all. I was no joke when it came to my business by any means necessary because it was my business. And when you in business, business is like warfare. You have to have a line of defense. So tell us if you can, and I understand if you choose not to, but tell us about, give us one recollection of a situation where you clashed with another pimp and what's standing up at its, in its more aggressive, in its most aggressive form would be like? Well, if just say, if you go on a new stroll and you put your girls down and there's pimps out there and there's women out there, you cutting into their money. So if you young and you coming up and they don't know you, then they may try to bully your girls to go somewhere else. But I had some, I had some, a rough enforcer and one of my girls definitely was, um, a soldier. So if I go to the, a stroll, I always send this particular girl with the rest of them and she a soldier. So this is what she do. Anytime women approach her or say, you know, um, y'all go somewhere else, it's going to be a fight. So when it be a fight, Normally, I already know she like a pit bull, so she gonna she gonna tear him up. Now, when when she started beating up they girl or whatever, and they jump in it, and then once they the, the pimp jump in it, then now he disrespect me if he like slap my girl or whatever. Then I come and I put him in the hospital. Okay, so we get yeah, okay, so we or, get we or get. Or if something happened to my girl, I go on a stroll. And I let them know, and I have an AK-47, and I walk down there with it um, and let them know anybody touch my girls, I'm going to be real serious. And you never got, so So what was your, so it sounds to me like, you know, part of this is, and this is, this is, this is interesting. So part of it sounds, you know, in its fundamentals sound like, sounds like, any other business, you know, um, as, as being a good businessman, regardless of what you're doing, part of it sounds like, um, a street enforcer and that's got risk to it. And that's got, I mean, just as you can, uh, step to someone with a threat, you know, there's always, uh, the need to me, I would think after that to watch your own back. And then part of it, which I know, you know, I have audience members from, from, from all parts of society. So are we going to get to some of the questions that I think some of my audience would ask? Because we can't go through this conversation without someone asking the, the or someone, especially in this day and time, asking the story about what was your perspective given society's perspective of what you did and how they felt about it ethically? Well, society look they look down on it and say, you know, pimping prostitute is a bad thing. I mean, that's this is let's make this clear. 
absolute clear. I don't condone pimping and prostitution. This is something that I did in my past. And I just want people to understand how somebody like me or a young lady can choose a life like this. So I just want them to know that. Okay, just, so, so they're, just, just so they know. So when I'm talking about it, they'll know, well, this is not nothing I do right now. Right. But I mean, we all, everybody has a past. It's, I don't care, you know, some people, you know, that's just, it is what it is. And these, the thing about 247 Real Talk is, you know, it's not a, this is not a podcast to pacify anybody from any part of society. This is a a podcast to share real stories. And if it's real, it's real. Whether they like it or not, it's real life. And this is what we talk about. So I do want to say that, but the way society look at it, they look at it, they look at it bad. But when you look out on the streets and you say, what is good? What is anybody doing good? I don't look at pimping as no different than anything else. Not as the government, not as any form of any organization that can say and look down on pimping. How they gonna look down on pimping in so many different ways that people are being pimped? Yeah, that that's that's you know you get you're getting you know you're getting uh, you're getting righteous with some of my audience. I'm probably too deep for some of them because <laughs> you know if if you use if you use the analogy and and you use pimp in its in its um, as an adjective and it's in its in its sort of our uh, true form yes uh it can be applied the, the the actual activity of 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 or the process of it can be applied to probably most you know um business models that they are around the world and the way the way yeah. what they worth yes i mean they didn't pimp the music industry like they didn't pimp them people like crazy Right. Yours is just unique I mean, as well as to what it is. America. They pimps. I know the government pimps. It's a lot. Just choose your pimping. I mean, this little bit of pimping you're talking about is some huge pimps out here. So if they're looking at this, hey, that's that's bad. No. Sex sale. Now, that ain't the life that I'm in now, but I understand it. So I don't judge it because sex sale. I mean, if you look at pornography, it's a billion dollars. If you look at holocaust romances, all of that, it's sales. So it's a business. And everything, even if you look at mainstream, they got to go and put some sex in their business to make it work. That That is true. Every, you know, sometimes you look at the, at the TV ad and you kind of wonder what they're, what are they actually selling? Right. But you I want to, um, go ahead. You take a, a movie star and Playboy tell her to pose. What do you think she's selling? Sex. Yeah, yeah. And that is that is that is an interesting conversation too. But I wanna make sure that I uh I, I sort of get your story out there and your experience out there. So I wanna get into more detail about things like you talk about um you had encounters with over four hundred women. Um yes. And so I think some of the details we want to know too is uh, how do you, you know, what was the, the, the money distribution like between you and your, 
your staff. Let's call it that. Let's be politically correct for a moment. Yeah, what was the money distribution like? Well, you got to understand this. Now, I want everybody to understand this. If you get a girl and she get with you and she understand what you're doing, you got to remember that a pimp, everybody against the pimp. So everybody got to talk against, going to talk against the pimp. The first thing they're going to say, taking all your money, he, he, he don't give you nothing. He, he doing everything. He ain't doing nothing for you. Come on now. I'm smart. I'm, I've been in this for a while. So I understand this. You can't draw all the water from the well. So I'm going to make sure when somebody do something, they always want uh, rewards for it. I mean, anytime a person do something, they want, they want rewards. They, they, they want uh, rewards for it. So whatever they did, I always made sure they was good. I always looked out for them. Before anybody could get to them, I would always make sure I gave them a bank account, made sure they kept money made sure they get a car. I made sure so when people come and tell them why they should get away from me, they actually help them stay with me. Because when they say, he take all your money, and they say, well, I got a pocket full of money. And they say, well, you need to get a bank account. They say, I got a bank account. Say, you need to get a, your own place. I got my own place. You need to get your own car. I got my own car. Now, you're not making them be scared to be with me. You're making them scared to be without me. Wow, wow. Yeah, so that's, that, that's, that's uh, when you put it like that, you know, yeah, I, I, I get your game that you were um, engaging in. Um, but what was the, uh, specifically, you know, let's take a $100 bill. What was the distribution like? It varies. See, I, I always had from eight to 10 girls. So it varies. Like some girls make more money and some don't make. And, and you know your expenses because if you're paying all these houses and cars and, you know, you got a big overhead. So $100, some of them make $100, some of them make two, some of them make three. It depends on how the night is, is it, it go up and down. But how much of it was yours? Well, I, I, it was all mine. I'm the <laughs> one distributed. Now, I don't, I ain't make no deals, but I'm saying it was all mine. I gave them uh, a certain amount of money because I had so many. It was like for every one of them, it was 10 of us. It was 10 of me to, or nine of me to one of them. So whatever they want, they had money all the time, shoebox full of money. All right, the time. but I'm 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 trying to get down to the nitty gritty question. I'm trying to take a, you know, not necessarily no, real life, but no, I, no. I was the, I was I was I was the bank, and the bank was never broke. All the money come to me, and then you gave but back how much? Right, if they wanted something or needed something, then I give them. So if I make uh, uh, whatever I make, if I say, if you say, well, how much you make? If you made a certain amount of money. Just say I made $400. Okay, if I made $400, then tonight I might say, well, here, put this up. I might get one of my $100 that night or whatever. You know, I just made sure they kept money. Every time I get paid on the weekend or have much money, I always make sure they had money. Money wasn't no problem. 
So the, so these were girls that, and, you know, and again, forgive my ignorance of it, but I can see as I'm speaking with you, you know, a lot of the perceptions that, that people have no clue about this business have, it, it's, it's, you know, it's quite different. And that's why I'm asking these questions. So basically for these girls, you provided the clients or, or you, or you, you know, not necessarily because was it, was it a, a street walking oper- operation or was it an in-house operation where you had a client, they had a clientele? Well, see, the reason why I said I was the most notorious pimp in the Midwest, because I mastered the sex game at every level. I had women on the stroll, in the club, phone sex, brothels, magazines. You see, I had the best quality of women, so they understand this too. My women didn't smoke cigarettes, didn't smoke weed, drink alcohol, do drugs, or eat sweets. My game was strong like the sun, not like a fish. And my women, they was a reflection of me. They was raised of sunlight. So I ran an underground business, but I operated it like a corporation. And just because you talk slick and dress slick don't make you no bona fide pimp. So you are well-dressed, et cetera. Right. Mm. You have to know how to take care of business. So what 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 are the... Tell us about some of the, um, because you know, your, your book and your story is, is, as you said, your first book is a part is a part of a three part series. So, yeah. what there's That's how it's done, right? So, give us some of the the highlights and the lowlights of, of 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 you know the highs and the lows of what you went through. How many years were you in this? Twenty years over. Uh, twenty two years. Okay, so tell us some of the high points and tell us some of the low points and then tell us some of the most um, challenging points. The high point was when I had everything together. Like, my business ran like a smooth operation. I had everything on automatic. And I had no difficulties or no problems. I didn't have none. Because I had mastered it so well. Now, the low point about it is when I got out the game, I didn't have a lot of low points when I was in the game. Only at the beginning when I made a lot of mistakes at the, at the beginning. Like, I mean, I got, I got arrested a lot of times. So me getting arrested and harassed, and sent to jail, but I never went to jail. I've been arrested, but I never went to jail. See, cause if you go to jail for pimping, that's mispimping. If you go after three years, that's mispimping. You can never be a high-ranking pimp if you went to jail for pimping or anything else. So is that what you were arrested for many times, pimping? I was arrested. Yeah, I got arrested for pimping about who, numerous times. And what was your way out every time? Well, 
pimping was a misdemeanor. They would just lock me up for pimping if they saw me. If I'm driving and they saw me, they would lock me up. And they did this for about four or five years. So after a while, when they got to know me and I never was like disrespectful, I never disrespected them because I understood they had a job. I was the bad guy. So I wouldn't look at them and go, well, y'all dirty police. Man, I'm the bad guy. I'm giving them a reason. So I never was disrespectful, always was respectful and stay humble. So after a while, they stopped messing with me. That's that. Okay. So after a while, you had sort of free reign. They probably became uh, known enough. That, you know, yeah. Yeah, they became allies. And they, he ain't so bad. He, he's a human being. This is why I come from my environment. So what else about, I mean, you, you have a lot of story here. Obviously we can't cover it in one, in one podcast, but if, if, you know, when we first spoke, you know, there's a lot of different parts of, of the game and a lot of different parts of the life that you, you mentioned that, you know, that people have a lot of misconceptions about when you think about it and when you were at the highlight of it, what would you want to say Give us a few examples of things that people have misconceptions about that you would what you would like to share. What they have misconceptions about? Yeah, well, people are onlookers. Every, I would say I would say that every prostitute is a drug addict and a ten dollar uh, prostitute. That's a misconception that everybody that get into prostitution is brainwashed, that you brainwashed them, you had something and you kept it from them to make them become prostitutes. Or another misconception is, well, women are manipulated. It's manipulated in all facets of life. It's all kind of manipulations, but that's false too. Or prostitution is, is something that's forced no, prostitution or a pimp don't force no prostitute to be a prostitute. That's a misconception. And pimps are abusive. They beat their women. And, and uh, that's that's a misconception. I have pimps beat women before? Yeah, probably have. Um, but it's husbands that beat their wives. That don't have nothing to do with being a pimp. She just may be a maniac or maybe abusive man. And that's the type of man she likes. Abusive man. That's why she with him. Because there's different type of men and women like different type of men. And that's the type of man that a woman would gravitate toward being abusive. And when I say a lot of times women gravitate toward a man's uh, imperfection to see where she fit in. But there's one thing they do. They allow that destruction to to creep in so they could secure the bag. Like, okay, I could deal with that. Then at some point, they feel like they, they can't deal with it because those kinds of addictions or those kinds of, of habits, uh, they have a man of their own. So that's, that's something that uh, you won't be able to control. 
but you know. So how did you guarantee that? Again, you know, all these ideas I have and these questions come from, you know, what we see on TV and movies most like, because I've never had any direct interaction with the light. So these are things I see on, 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 you know, and you get this concept formed in your mind. So did you have situations to deal with where the person was going out and, because I'm assuming that the, 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 the mutual relationship, and I'm trying to wrap my head around this, had to do with not only, I guess, a certain level of protection from you if the woman decided to have that life, but I guess that by association with you, um, it, it guaranteed them through some methodology um, a certain amount or a certain type of clientele. And then the other part of that is, you know, if a woman went out one night and earned $500, what was the incentive or what was the reason in their head for coming back and giving you that entire 500? I mean, I'm assuming that you can't be everywhere at one time. So you have no clue exactly what they earned. Right. But see, when you be good, okay, first I'm going to get to the first thing. When you say, well, what give them the incentive to want to come back and, and do that if you protect them or whatever. Yeah, um, if they get with me, then yeah, I'm going to provide protection because that's me being a bona fide pimp. Um, being a bona fide pimp, it covers a multitude of things. A bona fide pimp is a boss pimp. And he's a problem solver for the betterment of his business. And he has to make sacrifices for whatever that cause may be. He's the president. He has to lead by example. He's the protector. He has to make sure they're in a good environment. He's the police. He got to make sure ain't no laws or rules broken. He's the punisher. He has to make sure that if his girls get in conflict, that he deals with it. And he's the police at some point. He has to make sure that they're happy. So protection is definitely one of the things that you have to do. Boom. And if she get Go if ahead. she get five hundred dollars and she give it to me, she might not get it that night. But if she if tomorrow or the next day she said I want five hundred dollars to put in the bank, I would give it to her. But what makes it think you know, I'm saying she goes out and has a really good night. And I'm assuming back in right. those days, let's say 500 is a really good night. She could come back yeah. to you and, and and I'm assuming you have no clue what she made, who she was with necessarily, at least not to, at the immediate time. And she uh -huh. may come back to you and say, hey, I made $300 tonight and keep 200 for herself. What what mm -hmm. What's the incentive not to do that? I mean, she could do it, but if you straight up and down and they, they, they see that you're going to treat them fair and you give them whatever they ask for, why, did, why would they have to hold out? Well, because I'm thinking that, you know, if, if, if a, if a if woman decides, a bank account, why would they have to hold out? Well, because given let, let's put it this way. You you're a businessman. You All might, right. you might get, you might get, a, a, I'm like, I'm, you know, for, for all respect and everything, I'm going to say a staff member who okay. is also a business person. They might say, you know what? 
I can get the clientele because people know that I'm working for him. I get the protection because people know I'm working for him. I get the benefits. But every time I go out there, in addition to getting everything I want from him, I could skim $100 off the top every time. You can do it. And I wouldn't know. But if I find out, then I got to let you go. Right. Right. So I'm definitely setting example. If anybody do something like that, then I got to let them go. Because if you ain't down for the cause, then you have to go. You can go on your own and do it. You don't have to be under my umbrella. But then they so won't have the protection not, if they get beat up. Or they won't they have get, none of that. Right. So go ahead. Right. And mm. we see how much that's going to cost you. And that's cool. If you want to leave me, I've had a lot of women come and go. Some got with me, some left. They was with me for a week left. They was with me for a month left. They was with me for five months left. I had over really 600. What was I the longest they stayed with you? About five years. Wow. But I didn't like keeping them that long. Most of them after three years, I let I let them go and get new ones because I don't like putting calves and cows together when they knew. Sometimes when you have a woman for a while, she be, she has entitlement issues, and then she feel entitled. Then she feel her spot secure, and she'll start, you know, you know, one bad apple will spoil a whole bunch. If I saw that, then they had to go. It wasn't like me. I'm desperate for no woman to try to get her, they all come to me. Wow. So they want to be with me. <laughs> no, we, I mean, you, 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 again, you've touted this as a three-part series. Um, it'd be interesting to have additional podcast recordings with you and the other parts of the series come out because, you know, this story I'm pretty sure has a lot more in the detail than we can cover in one podcast. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about this as the first of possibly um, in in a series of conversations with you, as you as you um, you know you write more about the other parts of the series. But mm-hmm. I think for this episode, one the one of the um, Last questions I want to ask for this episode is we're going to skip forward a bit and we can fill it in in another, in another recording, but what made you decide I'm done? I didn't lose no girls. Uh, I didn't run out of money. My business was better than ever, but my moral objectives changed. I no longer needed to do it to survive. Even when I started pimping, I never looked at pimping as a career. Always looked at, looked at it as a stepping stone to walk a different path. And when I was, when I was at that point to walk a different path, that's what I chose to do. So you invested in a different, in something new in your life. Yes. Okay. And I, I won't I won't ask you what that is at this point because we're gonna leave that for the next recording. I gotta leave them uh my audience hanging a bit, you know, to wanna hear more of this interesting story. So 
Um, this this has been quite a revealing conversation. I mean, maybe my audience will send me some messages and say, you know, maybe I'm I'm the naive one and they knew more than I did about this. But I can truly say it's been an eye opener in many, you know, in, in in provoking thoughts, you know, in my head, and and certainly only a few parts of it resemble what you know my the picture I had of what it was like or what it would be like to get into it. And, and they all come, like I said, from movies or whatever and, you know, how pimps are portrayed and, you know, those things are, there's a lot of embellishment in that. Well, maybe some pimps, but that's why I'm saying I was on a whole nother level. I was the most notorious. I'm going to just say the most notorious in the Midwest. I, I was just regular, just, I had 10 women for like 15 years straight. So it was a little bit different for me. I understood how women operated. And and, and so are it, you are you at liberty to say and if you can't understand also are you at liberty to say in any given year on average, what your profit would be like, what your income would be like. <laughs> <laughs> you might not be, and I understand if you can. I may not be at liberty to say that. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll. But <laughs> I say this, I made hundreds of thousands. Wow. It was a lucrative business. I had a lucrative business. It wasn't just, I couldn't be out there and say, I'm a pimp, I'm a pimp. So I'm saying like this, you say, well, you know, most pimps be out there and they they flamboyant. Yeah, I had to be a little bit more discreet because I was on a other level. See, you know, you could sleep, you could see slick coming a mile away, but I was clever. Clever can't be detected. I never needed a support group or somebody to validate me. I had to stay under the radar. I couldn't be in those movies, pimps up and holes down and all that, because I was doing it for real on a whole nother level. I respect what they was doing, but they ain't never been on my level, what I was doing. Wow. So we, we will, I, I'm, I'm gonna, um, as I wrap this up, I'm gonna um, ask you to, you know, um, promise my audience and myself that as you write your series that you'll come back on the show. And okay. Uh, well, I re- I've already written two. Okay. Well, I've only I've seen one of two, them. But yeah. I put one out. I okay. put one out first because I had to, when I put two out and they, some people read it, they was like, no, no, no. We have too many questions. How did you get here? How did you become bigger than life? Was your mother on drugs? Was she a crackhead? Did you get abused as a child? I'm like, okay, go get book one. I'm going to put out book one. So they know all these things. So they know exactly how I got there. That 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 is that is and yeah, and I can see I can see why the, you know we need it in pieces because it's so much story and it's the oldest profession and I and I think that yeah you know, anybody that any any adult at least that you ask will have some um, 
will have some opinion of it and some people will have a dismissive opinion of it because they simply don't want right. to talk about it. but if you know the fact is that if you ever wondered about the detail because these are all human beings you're a human being these women are human beings their personalities are different and you know i i, I think a lot of the perception is that a pimp somehow takes a woman and forces her into a life of prostitution you've 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 you know you shed a light on that and that I think people will give people a lot of, you know, room for thought and a lot of, um, I understand that, but it's not like that. Right. And a lot of times women, when they go into prostitution, it's not like a woman that look at her body as being sacred. Some women use their body as a commodity. So it's not like a regular woman. It's like, I'm using this as a commodity and a lot of women do that. Right. Okay. So for my audience, uh, benefit, uh, your book, the first one is called human earthquake book one. It's available on Amazon. And for those of you out there who have enjoyed this conversation thus far, have been intrigued by it, have been disgusted by it. have been humored by it, whatever your emotion um, it's important that I think, you know, with with the purpose of 247 Real Talk to understand the real world we live in. And these things are real stories that, you know, have happened in real times, whether we yeah. choose to ignore them or not. And that's what we share here. We talk about everything from, you know, suicide to homicide to, to, to you know, um, all sorts of things to civil justice, to social justice, to econ- economics. And these are all things that, some part of our society and some part of my audience can add to their their knowledge base and and get some entertainment about it too and, and learn something like I have in having this conversation with you. So I thank you so much for being willing to be on my show and for sharing your story thus far. As I said, I would like to when the other when you know, finally release the other two parts of the book. You know, we uh, we maybe we can come back and have. Um, another discussion that sort of you know ties up the entire story in some more details, but it is an amazing um, life journey that you've had thus mm-hmm. far, and I, I thank you for sharing it with me. And uh, thank you for having me. And you're quite welcome. And now we'll talk again soon in another episode of Two Four Seven Real Talk. say a very special thank you to my guest Ramon Darnell for sharing his story his true life story with us that's what 247 Real Talk is all about I also want to say thanks again to my supporters for their continued support reminding you that you can catch this episode and all the episodes on your favorite podcast app or you can head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net where you can also get information on my guests and you can listen to every episode. If you'd like to send me any questions or you'd like to be a guest in the show, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, do take care of yourselves 
and each other. <laughs>